Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Last week we talked about offenses, attitudes uh, of the heart, strongholds of the mind. And today, uh, in continuing that theme, we're going to be in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 7. And also, it was a great... uh, It was a great... um, it's good because it's good we have the kids in here, too, because this, this verse talks about children. And so let's read this together, Matthew 18, verses 1 through 7. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, that word sin there is not the typical word used for sin. Your translation may say, and it's really more correct in a literal sense, if you cause one of these to be offended. It's the word for offense. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. So let's go through these seven verses here and look at what Jesus is teaching. First of all, one of the things that we really need to notice here is that Jesus is talking to who? He's talking to his disciples. And his disciples ask him this question, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so they are, they're, they're jockeying for position. They want to know, remember when they said, who gets to sit on your right hand, who gets to sit on your left hand? And, and so this is, this is a question, this is what's going on in their hearts and their minds. Uh, we could say, this is really the way Jesus referred to it in, in another gospel, he, he called it Gentile thinking, or we might call it carnal thinking. They were just being carnal is what they were doing. And so Jesus, talking to his disciples, he's teaching them now, and he says, he calls a little child to him, and he sets this child in the midst of them. And so Jesus brings this child, puts this child in the midst of his disciples, and he says, assuredly, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That word converted is an interesting word. And so we, we may read this scripture sometimes and think that Jesus is referring to being saved, being born again. Uh, and it certainly can apply to that, but Jesus is not just talking about us getting born again. He's talking to his disciples 
who are already following him, who have already declared faith in him, and he's telling them something. And he's telling them something as a result of the carnality that Jesus knew was in their hearts and in their minds. And he says, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This word converted, a convert, to convert means to twist or to turn or to reverse, literally or figuratively. And immediately, it makes me think of a tree. To twist, to turn, to reverse. And this conversion that Jesus speaks of, no doubt, also speaks of repentance. Now, we often say um, the word repent means to turn around, but the word repent means to change your mind, is what the word repent means. To be converted does mean to turn around, to turn, to twist, to reverse. And Jesus is telling them, hey, uh, he's telling them a lot of things in this word here. This word carries a lot of meaning with it. Conversion here, when he says you must be converted unless you are converted, he's speaking of repentance, yes, a change of mind, because unless we have a change of mind, we are not going to, in fact, turn around. He's also speaking of whether we are shapeable or moldable or not. Now, think about, think about a tree for a moment. So, think about children, because this is what Jesus, unless you become his little children. So, before we think about a tree, let's think about a child. Children are, what is it about children? Have you ever wondered? Now, now think just in the natural terms here. We've had two brand new births uh, just very recently. And, and then we got little Noah back there, so we've got all these little bitty babies, right? Now, um, and, and you adults know where those little bitty babies came from, right? I mean, they came from their mommy's womb. All of us came from our mommy's womb, right? And have you ever seen a newborn baby that's come out of their mommy's womb and, and their head is misshaped and they're, you know, you know why? Because their bones are soft. They're very bendable. They're, they're, it's very hard to break a baby. I know all the, all the parents of newborn babies, you know, we get all freaked out. But, but the reality is, I mean, their bones are very bendable. Otherwise, they would not be able to, to, to come from where they come from if, if, if those bones weren't bendable. Not only are their bones bendable, but their minds are also very bendable or shapeable or moldable. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He is saying, you see this child? You need to become converted as this little child. We need to be able to be turned. We need to be able to be twisted. We need to be able to be shaped. So now let's think about a tree. You plant a tree when it's little. Anyone ever had, um, what do they call those little bitty trees? Huh? Bon- anybody, who's ever had a bonsai tree? Man, no one else has ever had a bonsai tree? H- how many of you know what a bonsai tree is? Okay. How many of you have ever been like to a fair? Now, I mean, they're amazing. 
They're like these specimens of trees that get really big, but they somehow, through, I don't know, working with them, they, 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 they just they stay little bitty trees. And they, they cause these trees to grow all different ways. They just mold them and shape them, and, and they just become these beautiful miniature specimens of these gorgeous trees. Well, when you plant a tree, you plant a sapling, or you've got one growing up and you want it to grow a certain way, you know, you can stake it, you can trim it, you can, you can cause that thing to grow certain directions when it's young, while it's still pliable, while it's still moldable, while it's still able to be turned and twisted and shaped. But when that thing gets old, or if it becomes dry and brittle, you try to twist or turn that branch, you know what's going to happen to it? It's not going to twist and turn, it's going to break. You know why it's going to break? Because it's become hard and stiff and brittle, and it's no longer able to be turned or twisted or shaped or molded. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Do not become men who are so stiff-necked. This is what God called Israel. He called them stiff-necked. Why? Their necks were stiff. What does that mean? They couldn't turn their necks. Why? Because they were stiff. They were not convertible. I'm not talking top-down. They were not able to be converted because they were stiff-necked, because... They couldn't turn their necks because they were hard-hearted. They were stiff-necked. So Jesus is telling his disciples, don't become people like that. You need to, in fact, become like this little child. You need to be converted as this little child. You need to be turnable, twistable, reversible. You need to be moldable and shapeable. Who's going to mold us and shape us? Well, God is, right, by His Spirit. Along with a lot of other things, forces in our life and things that we encounter. So children are very pliable. They're very flexible. In other words, they don't break when turned or twisted like a dry, brittle branch. You can't train a dry branch or a dry, brittle tree, only a green one. We call people who are, you know, rookies, they're, we say they're green. And there's a reason we call them that. We, we, we say that in a derogatory sense, but really this is what Jesus is telling us. You need to become green. You really do. Otherwise, you're going to become hard and brittle. Stiffness and hardness will not allow us to be turned without breaking. Stiffness or hardness is a symptom of an unhealthy life at best. There's a condition that human beings get called hardening of the arteries. And that's literally what happens. Your arteries become hard, and it's not good. Hardness is a symptom of an unhealthy life at best or a sign of much worse. So Jesus goes on and He says... Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child. Kids, are you listening? Now see, Jesus is, Jesus is using you 
as an example to help us learn something. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself as this little child, whoever is turned from their hardness of heart, whoever is converted, that's not just applicable to our salvation experience. He's talking to his disciples and he's telling them, don't be hard-hearted, don't be stiff-necked. You know, age is not a determining factor as to whether we are in that condition or not. I mean, there are rebellious children. I'm sure there are no rebellious children in here, right, kids? And there are rebellious adults. So, rebellion is not, you know, it's not determined by age. And so, this is why Jesus is using a child to teach adults something here. But children, don't think just because Jesus is using you as an object lesson here that it doesn't apply to you because it does apply to you because Jesus is assuming something. He's assuming that these children will be shaped, will be molded by their parents to to what? To grow up in faith and obedience to God. That's assuming that the parents are in faith (laughs) and obedience to God, right? Right? Parents, it's hard for you to raise up your children in faith and obedience if you're not in faith and obedience. How do we know that's true? Look at our culture around us, and you will know it is true. So, whoever humbles himself as this little child, if we find ourselves in pride and hardness of heart with stiff necks, we must be converted And that conversion only comes through what? Through humility. How do we know that? Because this is what Jesus says. Whoever humbles himself as this little child, how are we going to be converted and become as little children? Jesus says you have to humble yourself. And so through humility, through this humbling, we are able to be turned. We are able to be molded and shaped by God. Have you ever met someone who's not teachable? They're not very humble if they're not very teachable. Whoever causes, Jesus goes on, verse 5, whoever, I'm sorry, verse 6. Well, in verse 5 he says, whoever receives one little child like this in my name, receives me. Now, this week, we're, we're in Matthew 18. This message is going to be continued into next week, and we're going to be in Luke 17. And Luke 17 really expounds on what Jesus is talking about here. And in this verse, in verse 5, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. When we look at Luke 17 next week, we're going to see that the implications of this verse are huge in terms of how we relate to one another, how we, how we live and in, in, in exist and function in the body together with one another. The implications of this are huge. And Jesus is not just talking about us loving children. He is talking about loving children, but he's also talking about a heart attitude and a mindset that was in his disciples that he was dealing with. In verse 6 he says, 
But whoever causes one of these little ones. So he's contrasting here. Whoever receives one of these little ones. Versus whoever causes one of these little ones. Who believe in me. To stumble. This is the word. Your translation. I have a new King James here. It says whoever causes them to sin. In the King James it says whoever causes uh, them to be offended. Yours might say causes them to stumble. The ESV uses the word sin, I do believe. But the context is that. The context is this. Whoever causes someone to be offended to the point that they sin, woe to that person. This is the context, so this is why your translation may say sin, but it's not the same word. It is actually a word that means to be offended or to stumble. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That was, a, By the way, that was a common uh, form of punishment in that day. Uh, in, in a lot of cultures, not just in, in the Middle East, not just in, in, in Greek culture or the areas there around Israel and the Middle East, but, but in much of the East, much of the Orient, that was a very common form of punishment. There were certain crimes in which uh, if you committed that crime, they'd take you out and they'd, they'd tie a huge rock around your neck and they would just drop you off. See, the mafia didn't start that. They just picked that up from what the ancient culture had. But they wouldn't put your feet in cement. In these days, they would tie that thing around your neck. And so when they dropped you off into the ocean, you're going down headfirst with a millstone uh, in front of you. Not a very nice way to go. And so Jesus is he's being pretty, pretty graphic here. So whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, this is a warning that we are to heed. So parents, I want you to think about this. And, and I'm, I'm talking not just to parents. Jesus is talking to his disciples. So remember, <clears throat> this was written to his disciples. This was spoken to his disciples, but it, but it was spoken and it was written for us. And we're going to see uh, how it applies because it applies in, in all of these areas. But let's, let's talk about children for a moment. As Jesus is using this child as an example, um, children learn how? Children learn from example. <clears throat> Now, I can give you a real good uh, example of that. Uh, my little grandson, Ephraim, when he carries his phone around, he doesn't have a phone, but he thinks it's his phone, right? Now, to my knowledge, uh, Caleb and EJ, or Victoria, Tia Tori, no one, to my knowledge, taught Ephraim to use a phone. But somehow because now he's a child of, of, of the 21st century, and, you know, we don't even know. These kids are going to grow up and not even know what a landline is. They won't even understand the term landline. All they're going to know, I don't even have mine on me, all they're going to know is this little thing. This is a phone. It's not the thing screwed to the wall with a cord to it. That's not a phone. They don't even know what that is. A phone is this little thing you hold in your hand. And now we can talk to it. Now we can see the picture of the person uh, that we're talking to, and they, they talk back to us. And so here's Ephraim. He, he's got his phone. And when he was little bitty, he's still little bitty, but I mean even smaller, barely able to walk, 
He walked, he carried that phone around, and of course he knows when you've got it on the, um, I don't know, the default screen. I mean, if it's not on the right screen, it, it ain't right. You put it on the right screen, you know, and he'll be texting and he'll be punching. He, he knows. Now, he hadn't been taught, but he knows. How does he know? Well, because children are observant. That's how he knows. And so you'd see him walking around. He's got a diaper on, right? Diapers don't have back pockets yet. He's walking around the guy's phone, and he's doing this. He's trying to put his phone in his back pocket. Guess where mom and dad carry their phones? In their back pocket. Now, he doesn't have a back pocket on his diaper, but, but this is what he's doing. Trying to get his phone in his pocket that he doesn't have. No one taught him that. You know how he learned that? He watched. He observed. Parents, you know how your children are learning? They're watching and they're observing. And when, and when they don't do what you want them to do, and you're railing on them, and you're yelling at them, and you're disciplining them, and we should discipline our children, you better make sure that what you're telling them is going to be matching the example you're setting for them without your words. Because they're learning more from the things you don't say than the things you do say. And here's where family conflict comes in. And I deal with a lot of family conflict. Here's where family conflict comes in. Family conflict comes in. Parents come in and say, you know, my, my, my child. Now, I understand there are just some kids that are going to be rebellious. I understand that. And you might be a parent and say, you know what? I made those same mistakes and I, I learned late in life and my kids didn't grow up with the luxury of, I understand that. And so, you know, you're, you're going to have to work really hard and trust God to help your child and, and to trust that God knows how to deal with your child. But, but for, for, for those of you that have small children, this is their formative years. And they're learning, they're learning by example. Parents, are you teaching your children more by example than you are with your words? Because if your words don't match your example, kids are really smart. They don't have to become teenagers to figure out that um, they say one plus one equals two, but mom and dad, ain't, it ain't adding up. So parents, we have a responsibility to teach our children. Elders, and I'm not just talking about elders in the terms of a biblical office. How many of you here are, are, know that you're an elder? If you're a grandparent, do you know you're an elder? If you're an older brother, do you know you're an elder? Elders, all of us, I'm a pastor and I'm an elder. Not just because I hold the office, but because of my age. Because of the level of maturity I've come to. Elders, are you teaching the younger? They may not be your children. They may not be your grandchildren. They may be your neighbor. They may be your niece or your nephew. They may be the, the, the kids that, that go to church with you on Sunday morning. I don't know. Elders, are you teaching the younger by your example? Good or bad? Are you? 
This is what Jesus is talking about here. These are his disciples. And his disciples are asking these questions. And his disciples are out here. And, and, and Jesus is very close to the cross here. And he's dealing with the attitudes of their hearts. He's dealing with the strongholds that exist in their minds. And he's telling them, hey guys, you, you've got to become converted like this little child. You've got to be shapeable, moldable. You can't be stiff-necked and hard like you are. can't be caught up in the things that you're caught up in. You're not setting the right example for... Jesus understood he was getting ready to go to the cross. He was going to die. He knew that they were going to be devastated. And, and these were the disciples that were going to be left that were going to give us the Christianity that we have today. It worked. I mean, it may not look pretty everywhere you look, but I'm telling you what, Jesus got the job done. The disciples learned what they were supposed to learn. They didn't learn it all the easy way. They learned it the hard way. We don't learn everything the easy way. Sometimes we learn it the hard way. But Jesus is bound and determined that we will learn. Why? Because the success of his gospel depends on it. And you know what? His gospel will not fail. It won't. It won't fail. So elders, are you teaching the younger by your example? The attitudes, listen, the attitudes, good, bad, or ugly, of the parents, of the elders, will be the attitudes, good, bad, or ugly, of the children and of the younger. I'm a pawpaw, and I understand more now than, than even when I was a father how important it is for me to set an example for my grandchildren. My, my children are grown. I still need to set an example for my children. I will need to set an example for my children until the day I die. I, I don't care how old they are. This is our duty. We're going to see next week when we go into Luke 17. This is exactly what Jesus calls it. This is our duty. This is a warning that Jesus is giving us here. And we're called to be spiritual fathers and mothers. You might say, well, you know, I don't have any kids. I don't have... That doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not talking about biology here. Biology doesn't make a good father, a good mother, a good child, or not. Biology doesn't do it. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of kids related to their fathers and mothers by biology, and, and they're not getting what they need. So the Bible says that we are to be fathers and mothers. Spiritual fathers. Paul called his Timothy his son. And, and he meant it, not by biology, but his son in the spirit, because he raised up Timothy like his very own. I was talking with someone yesterday, and, and uh, we had a funeral here yesterday afternoon, and I was talking to one of the family members um, after the service was over, and we, we were just talking about, about family. And the Bible is very purposeful in, in the language it uses in describing us. 
we're called a family. We were talking yesterday about the importance of family. They have, a, they have a real strong family. They're very supportive of one another. And he said, you know, that's the problem in the church. He said, in the church, doesn't, they, don't, they don't get that we're family. I said, that's right. We have a responsibility. You see these children, all these children all around. Now see, some of you, there's a baby crying. For some of you, it's annoying. It's what babies do. It's what they do. Well, you know, Pastor Jeff, it's just uh, disruptive to have the babies in here. They should be next door. Well, they are most of the time. But you know what? It's okay. Babies cry. They cry at home. They cry when they're with their families. Now, you know, there's a way to handle that. Sometimes you do need to take your baby out. But, but sometimes we need to say, you know what? We're a family. Sometimes baby's going to cry, sometimes baby's going to laugh. What are we going to teach our babies when they cry? What are we going to teach them when they laugh? What are we going to teach them? Because what you're teaching them by your example right now is, is what they're growing up to believe. Whether you believe that or not, that's true. Elders, you see the younger among you, they're watching you. Whether you believe it or not, they're watching you. And they're learning about church from you. What are you teaching them? What are you teaching them? And some people will say, well, it's not my problem. They're not my kids. They're not my responsibility. No, wait a minute. Do you count yourself the family of God? Do you believe that these children are part of your family because we're all part of the family of God because we are under Christ who is our head and we're joined together by one life who is Christ? That's nice. That's correct theology, but it better be more than correct theology. That better be what we truly believe and what we truly live. This is what Jesus is commanding his disciples. The attitudes, good, bad, or ugly, that we have are the attitudes, good, bad, or ugly, that our children, that our younger are going to pick up and have. Let us not be a people blind to our duty. We live and we lead by example. Please understand that, parents, grandparents. Our children and our younger will be converted as we are converted. This is the promise. This is why God promises salvation to households. Households aren't saved. There's not a magic bullet that says... Well, if your parents are Christian, automatically your kids are going to be Christian. What this is, is there is an assumption, there's an underlying understanding here based on what? Based on the whole counsel of God. Based on what God's taught us from the very beginning. God, God just assumes that if you are parents of faith, you're going to raise your kids up in the faith. And they will be saved. Why? Because this is what we trained them and taught them. And in our faithfulness to do that, God will be faithful to save them. We don't treat them like heathen and wait until they become 16 years old and say, well, now I'm going to see what he's going to do. Well, if that's what you're going to do, then it ain't going to happen. We raise them up 
treating them as believers, believing that they will be men and women of faith. This is the promise of God. And it, it doesn't begin in the church, it begins in the home, but it needs to be exemplified in the church as well as the home because we are family. Our children and our younger will humble themselves as we humble ourselves. Our children and our younger will stumble if we lead them to stumbling. So this is the warning Jesus gives us. If you cause one of these to stumble, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck. It's one thing, listen church, it's one thing for for a person to stumble on Christ. Jesus is called the rock of offense. And it says it's better to to fall on Christ than have the rock fall on you. But it's quite another thing for one to stumble on our sin. Say, I watch my little grandbabies now. And and I'm, I'm a lot more careful about what I say and what I do. I still get frustrated. I still, you know, uh, man, the other day I was, something happened and like a, I don't know, it was like a glass of milk or a glass of something. Spill, it went everywhere. Now, normally... I'm just going to be transparent with you. Normally, it'd be, my favorite phrase is, Dad, gum it! Ask my kids, they'll tell you. I mean, normally, I'd have just busted out. I'd have been all frustrated. But, but here's, here's Ephraim toddling around the kitchen. Well, I'm telling you what, it didn't come out of my mouth. I just, I just acted like, no big deal. Now, I know some of you probably already got that down pat, and it's no big deal for you, and you don't understand why. But, you know, that's just me. But, but now, having my grandkids, I'm like, you know, Ephraim is not even two years old. He, he's, he's barely a year and a half old, but I guarantee you what, the way he sees Papa react to things, he's learning. He's learning. And I'm bound and determined not to teach him those things. Well, that's easy as grandparents, right? But let's transfer that to this place. To, to those that are not your biological kin, but, but we are family in Christ. I mean, when the little kids want to come up and hug you and things, do you, do you, and, do you relish their hugs or do you say, eh, get away from me, kid, you're bothering me? You know, like W.C. Fields used to say. I mean, I've actually had people in the past tell me, I don't want to go to church and have kids in the service. I want to get rid of my kids because I just want to have an experience with God. And you know what my response to that is? Go find you another church. I didn't say it exactly like that. But I let them know, sorry, you know, that's not who we are. We believe it's important for kids to experience that. Parents, it's important... One reason we have Family Weekend is because it's important for your children to see you give your tithe and your offerings to God. Because how are they going to grow up to be tithers and givers? They're going to do it because they saw their parents do it and their parents taught them to do it. It's important, parents, for your children. It's important, elders, for the younger to see you stand here and, and worship God, to sing from your heart 
to, to, for them to be able to watch you praise God, how are they going to learn how to praise God? They're going to learn because someone's going to teach them. How are they going to teach them? By example. If you wait till they get old enough and say, now look, you can raise your hands, you can sing out loud, and, and they're going to they're be, be intimidated by that. Why? Because they, they never saw you do it. Parents, be mindful of the example you set without your words. Because that is the most important way you will teach your children. Elders, be mindful of the example you set with and without your words because they need to match. Children, obedience is not an option based on convenience. See, you kids... Obedience isn't something that you do when it's convenient for you, when you're not mad at mommy or daddy. Well, I'm not mad at mom and dad today, so I'll go ahead and take the trash out. I won't argue with them. Now, obedience isn't based on our convenience. It's based on the command of God. (laughs) But that obedience doesn't apply just to children. It applies to all of us as children of God. So obedience is our joy. It's our joy if we are living humbled before him out of a childlike heart. Can you live humbly before God out of a childlike heart? If you can, obedience will be your joy. You will be pliable, moldable, shapeable. You won't be hard-hearted and stiff-necked. out of a childlike heart of love. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. Jesus says there's no way to avoid them. They're going to be here. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, in his letter to the Colossians, warned Fathers, don't provoke your children under wrath. It's a very similar statement to what Jesus is talking about here. Don't discourage them to the point that we're called to encourage one another, not discourage one another. The whole point of this assembly today, in the letter to the Hebrews, is that we consider one another in order that we may provoke one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And even more as we see the day approach. But the point of this assembly is to stir up love, to encourage one another. And the most important way we will do that is by the example we set. Everywhere you go, not just at home, not just at church, but everywhere you go. Amen? That is our duty. Now, we're going we're gonna to stop there. I really want you to come back next week because I, I want you to be here. We're going to talk about Luke 17. And it goes right in from this. We're going to go right into that. and We're going to talk about our duty the duty of restoration. Amen?
Let's all stand. Well, y'all should be proud of me. It's, it's on time. Please, I hope you plan to come next uh, Sunday at 5 to the Humphreys for the CFC Super Bowl Fellowship. We'll have a great time. Um, take the opportunity. You can't get to know one another here on a Sunday morning. And so take those opportunities to get to know one another, to fellowship one another. It'll be a lot of fun. Father, we just are so thankful for who you are. We are so thankful, Lord Jesus, for the Word of God, written and living. We ask you today, God, that you would, by your Spirit, work in our lives. Lord, revelation is not something a man can impart. Revelation can only come by the Spirit of God. We can speak words of truth, but only the Spirit of truth can bring the revelation of truth. And I pray today, God, that you would, by your Spirit, reveal truth to us. Lord, that you would heal us of our stiffness, of our hardness. That you would even, God, allow us to become as little children. Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you. And that in our humility, God, you would pour out your grace. Lord, help us to realize as parents, as elders in our families, in this body, in the world around us, at work, at play, wherever we may be, doing whatever we may be doing, that we set an example by what we do, by what we say, by how we carry ourselves, by the attitudes of our heart and of our minds. And Father, I pray that you would graciously teach us, shape us, mold us, and help us, God, live humbly before you from a childlike heart of love and embrace obedience and embrace what you have given to us in Jesus Christ. I pray this, God, that, that this would be to your glory. I thank you for all the children, God. They are such a gift. I thank you, Lord, that our quiver is full here. Thank you for the families, God, that you have blessed to have these children. And I pray, God, you would give grace to these parents and these grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ that we would be mindful of the children. Lord, whether they are two months or, Lord, whether they're grown, that we would be mindful of the children, God, and the examples we set. Thank you, Father. And we bless your name, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.